Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents, 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And folks, you are in for another treat this week. Yes, it's another double feature, two movies in one podcast. We started this last week, our first ever double feature, and it was a weird combination of Child's Play 2 and Dances with Wolves. And you're probably thinking, what the hell? Who would watch that kind of double feature except yours truly? But that's just the way that it worked out as far as like the release schedule. These movies were both released on that same day. So if you see weird combinations like that on any future uh, double feature episodes of this spinoff series, that's why. <laughs> Other than that, I would never pair up Child's Play 2 with Dances with Wolves. It doesn't make sense. But that's why. And I'll explain it every time. There's an episode for this, so if it becomes redundant, um, I apologize. I'm just trying to explain it for the audience of why both of those movies are lined up together. But anyways, that's last week. You can listen to that. You can catch up now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that fun stuff. Um, I'm super excited about this week's movies, though. Um, they're movies that I've that have been in my consciousness ever since I was a kid. I've rewatched them multiple, multiple times. So. You know, I'm super familiar with them, but yet I rewatched them again this week just, you know, to prepare for the podcast. And, uh, you know, these movies still hold up for me. Some has gained a little bit more momentum throughout the years. You know, we're 30 years in, so we can kind of grasp whether these movies have aged well or whether they were, you know, movies of their time. Uh, but for me, and not so much spoilers, but yes, I like these movies a lot. And you'll probably be hearing a lot of positivity on this podcast this week um yeah home alone uh that'll be the first movie we're tackling and then the second half of our double feature will be the fifth installment in the rocky franchise rocky five i know it's not the most popular rocky but uh i'm gonna try to talk about it i'm gonna try to make the case for it um when i do get to it and i have a special guest lined up for it so be on the lookout for that in case you're not interested in home alone and you just want to fast forward to rocky five again this is a two movie uh episode so you know whether you like both movies or you only like one over the other or you know however you choose if you want to listen to rocky first you'll fast forward and then come back to the beginning here for home alone however you want to do it or you can just skip it if you're not interested in any of them but those are the movies this week and without further ado our first movie up it's the family comedy without the family. This is Home Alone. Enjoy the show. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation. Did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. Yeah. They forgot one small thing. Have yourself. I've a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus. And it's Elf. Get off my property. 
This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. This is it. to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Ah! Yes! Ah! Ah! Where are you, you little creep? I'm gonna kill that kid! Why'd you take your shoes off? Why'd you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. <laughs> home Alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus. Coming November 16th. All right, here we go. So, my earliest memories of Home Alone. Again, this was released on November 16, 1990. Um, I would have been maybe four or five at the time. Um, I don't think my parents took me to see this movie. And if they did, I have absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. I would have to ask them. But I didn't do deep enough research on that. But I can tell you for sure that this got a lot of rewatching done at my house. So I used to own this movie on VHS. I do own it now because I, I kind of started recollecting a lot of VHS movies. There's like a lot of vintage stores around the San Antonio area. And you can find like VHS tapes like super cheap for like dimes and quarters. Like that's how cheap they are. And that's how irrelevant they are. They're they're more like, you know, treasure finds now. Um, so I was able to also buy a VCR. You know, some of them are still available um, online. Um, I found mine at a thrift store, so and it's still in great working condition. And I was able to find another copy of Home Alone, so I now have that in my possession again, and hopefully for like the rest of time. I know there's some people that don't understand that, but me being like a huge movie buff, and you know, I I, I think as a kid, I don't really think I asked for much. Whenever it was, I think I was more of like I always wanted the VHS movies more than like toys. And I know I was a kid that enjoyed toys, but for me, I always got more a kick out of getting my movies on VHS and starting some type of collection, you know. And then I got that more from my dad later on when he, you know, got us into DVDs. And then, you know, I picked up on that and then eventually, you know, continuing the trend forward with Blu-rays and, and now 4K. So my collection of movies, like I, I just love to have physical copies of them. I did try the digital uh, route for a while and I thought that was going to be the way but you know there's nothing like having a physical copy of a movie so it, it's so great and nostalgic and uh, awesome just that I, I was able to get another copy of Home Alone on VHS and I was able to you know not not so much for this rewatch but I can go back and if I plug in my VCR I can watch the original format and just remember how it was looking at it as a kid and I know we're all um, super spoiled with high definition and all that stuff now and that's great like it's it's great to see movies upped uh in transferability as far as like the look and presentation but 
I get a kick out of going back and seeing movies like Grainy and, you know, seeing like the, you know, the VCR video lines when you're watching it, you know, if a movie's like old and stuff like that. You know, I still get a kick out of going to the movie theater and watching something that's on actual film print, you know, like a Christopher Nolan movie. So I get a kick out of all that stuff. Yes, I, I love the, the, the 4Ks and the high definition and all that stuff. I get a super kick out of all that and I'm always trying to be ahead of the curve with all that stuff. But I still like to go back to the, to the beginning and further and, 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 and see stuff the way it was uh, originally meant to be seen and also just the way I experienced it as a kid. So that's one of the big reasons I, I started my VHS uh, collection again. And if you ever come and visit my place, you'll see it's like two shelves of like all these movies particularly most of them are in the 90s that's when vhs really became like super huge blockbuster video all that stuff and home alone was a really big uh rewatchable movie at my house i there's a lot of things about this movie that just uh hit the spot for me you know (laughs) as a kid you know one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he has to go grocery shopping he's out of all this stuff and he's at the store and he's got the car and he's, you know, buying his milk and all this stuff. And you're the kid is like, oh, man, he's doing it by himself. And this is so cool. You're like, man, what's it like to go grocery shopping on your own? And now as an adult, you do it regularly. And it's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Like, what, what was the, the fuss about it? But that's the whole joy of being a kid is that you want to grow up so quickly and do all these grown up things that by the time you do get to do them as a grown up, you realize, well, what, what that was all the fuss about. That's what I was super excited about. So, but I remember like, that's one of those scenes and it still sticks out when I watch it. It just, it, it hits a soft spot. It's like, oh man, I remember being that young and, and being just enamored with that scene. And, and when he's checking out all the stuff at the register and the cashier lady's like looking at him all weird, like instead of like in her case in that scene, couldn't she have just been like a little bit more like, oh, like I hope, to, I mean, why is this kid buying this stuff by himself? Like, she kind of looked more suspicious as as opposed to like maybe worried like hey he's by himself like what's going on like hey where's your mom and you know maybe go help find her but no she was just more suspicious of him buying all the stuff like i don't know i found i found her to be real weird in that scene but whatever that's just a little nitpick but just a lot of things that i love about this movie you know the whole family getting together to do like this vacation like trip you know i've never really been one to be out loud about it but i love getting together with family and relatives especially when we were kids you know you want to do all these things with your cousins and you know whether it's you know go to each other's houses or go to parks or whatever Uh, but the a family trip would always be like the ultimate thing and you know there, there was a couple of ones that i've done with both sides of Uh, of the family on my mom's side and on my dad's side but you know never one true like wow let's really you know let's fly out let's go somewhere all together as a family i mean it's a huge family i don't know if we could have gotten away with that um and i don't know if we could get away with it now there's just too many of us now maybe maybe i'll start my own tradition one day with, with my family and maybe my my sister and her kids and and all that stuff and maybe we can start up something like that but as a kid you know, that's one of the hooks of the movies, like, ah, oh, a big family vacation, and like, ah, oh, it was just something I always really wished and hoped for. Never really truly got it. Yes, there was some, like, trips to a beach or, you know, uh, a cabin, not a cabin, like, uh, just a little summer house uh, type deal, but never really a true, like, let's all 
pack suitcases. Let's let's go on a huge like road trip or whatever out of town and I don't know. But I still I still hope for that one day. But it was one of the things that when I watch Home Alone and watching it as a kid, I was like, oh, man, really enjoyed that stuff a lot. Of course, the hijinks of everything that happens in the house and Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, just doing all these things to Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, uh, Marv and Harry, the Wet Bandits, uh, all the stuff that happens in the house is just super hilarious. Everything holds up till today. Daniel Stern is like the underrated MVP of the Home Alone franchise. Leads the first two movies. Yes, yeah, spoiler, folks. There are sequels that follow this movie, uh, though none is good and have never really matched the magic of the first movie. So just a lot of stuff to, to enjoy out of this movie. Pizza. There's just all these different things. Amazing. Pepsi. Uh, Pepsi was huge in the early 90s, and there's a lot of, like, shameless plugging for all that stuff so it's 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 nice to revisit that and yeah there's just so much to like about this movie um and yeah it's still uh getting ahead of myself but yes it does hold up 30 years later at least to me but i'll make a case for it as why in terms of of relevance and pop culture and all that stuff but anyways let's let's get into what the synopsis of this movie is and i'll tell you whether it's a good synopsis and this is Provided to us by BoxOfficeMojo.com. Again, it is a website where you can check out all your box office analytics, um, anything that you've ever wanted to know. Mostly for movies like 80s and on, like anything before that, it's going to be hard to find or if there is any record at all. Um, but yeah, you can see how this movie did on opening weekend, how it did during its weekdays. You know, that's more, it's more detailed for the present day movies, like how it does daily. Uh, whether if it opened up on a holiday, how did it match up against other movies that opened up? Like, for example, on Christmas or this one is like closer to Thanksgiving. You can see how it matches up with other movies throughout uh, the years. Uh, just so many different avenues on this website. And if you've never checked it out, I really encourage it. Especially like if you're wanting to learn more about the business aspect, the numbers, and why maybe a movie overperformed, underperformed. And I learned a little something during all of this. And this is kind of coinciding with, with Rocky Five, And I'll talk about that when I get to the box office of Home Alone. So that'll be in just a bit. But yeah, just a really fun website to check out. I can spend hours on it. And I've been using it a lot for this spinoff series. So it's great to see all these numbers and, and just compare it to you know how it would do today and how the numbers would change and, and whether you know whether it would still hold up in 2020 or would those numbers be similar would they be worse would they be better you know it's fun to look at those are those are cool like what ifs but anyways here is the synopsis for home alone an eight-year-old troublemaker must protect his house from a pair of burglars when he is accidentally left home alone by his family during christmas vacation now i only have one problem with this synopsis and that's the fact that it says the word troublemaker. Now, as a kid growing up and you're watching it, you're like, whatever, you can, I guess Kevin's like a, an annoyance, you can say. But then you grow up and, and you start watching it and you start paying a little bit more attention. And you realize, man, like, everybody's a dick in this movie. Everybody's an asshole to this kid except the old man who he encounters, who they try to manipulate and let him, try to tell him that he's like some old, like, mass murderer 
which is one of the dumb like subplots of this movie, but it, it makes sense in a way. Um, but yeah, everybody's an asshole to Kevin McAllister in this movie, and Macaulay Culkin is just he, he's such an adorable act in this movie. Like he's he's so likable. Like nothing about him is like oh geez, what a brat this kid is. Like yes, he gets caught in some moments where like it makes it seem like he's like the jerk or whatever. And they all always turn on him, and that's always been one of the like the things that I hate in this movie. Is like they're just always against him on any little thing. Even like in the end of the movies, where like he's the one that's been through the trauma, or you would think, right? He's been through the trauma of being lost, and then in the sequel when he gets lost in another city, like just it, I don't know. They just always come back and have something to 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 get at him for. Like he's some like evil monster. Like he's the problem child, right? That's a movie that I covered earlier in this spinoff series. Like, they try to make it seem like he's that. And he's not. Like, he's the most likable character in the whole movie. Siskel and Ebert mentioned this as well, and I agreed with them. Uh, and again, I, I saw their review on YouTube after I saw the movie. So, it's not that I, I, I'm copying what they're saying. It's just like, I, it, it lines up with, with, uh, it matches, you know, our, our similarities and, and our critique of the movie. But yeah, like, everybody's an asshole. You know, even the mom, like, after watching this, like, over and over, like, I don't, I don't forgive her for any of this, because she's very, just very mean. I mean, she, she's, she gets remorseful throughout the movie, right? And, you know, she feels like shit, and, you know, she's trying to get back home, and this and that. But still, like, even then, like, by the end of it, I'm like, no, man, like, you, you were such, like, you didn't even let your kid eat dinner. You don't let him at least have a slice of pizza. Whenever all that mess nonsense started and she sends him upstairs and then of course the movie happens and they end up leaving. They, they leave him behind in the house. Like you didn't even let him have pizza, like not even one slice. And I, I know I wouldn't forgive if I didn't get to eat my dinner and I was just sent to my room and, and up in like hell. It looks like, I don't know. It looked like a pretty cool room upstairs. Although it would be scary at night when like, you know, there's no lights on or anything like that. But, yeah, like, just very, very awful. And it's just such, there's a weird, like, conversation. And it tries, it gets kind of serious where, where Kevin's, like, you know, mad for getting sent upstairs. And he's talking about how he doesn't want to see them again. And he wished he never existed and didn't want a family. And you could see, like, Catherine O'Hara's face, like, holy shit. Like, he's hitting me with, like, some shit. Well, yeah, like, fucking, you know, your kid's kind of, like, asking for attention like give it to him like he's your youngest uh so that i can understand kevin's frustrations in the movie you could tell like everyone's just kind of ignoring him even when he's just asking simple questions he's like no how do i pack a suitcase and they're calling him a moron and all this and that like what a jesus bunch of little shits like man you figure like yeah man i hope they crash in this plane like whatever or i hope they don't make it back home like sorry to sound so grotesque but man his family members are shit uh and I don't forget the parents. And the dad didn't seem too concerned either. You know, he, I know he has to play cool. He has to play, like, not panicked. But still, I, I, I couldn't help but be upset with him and, and more upset with the mom. She could have been more sympathetic. Although she kind of, like, I guess kind of learns a lesson uh, on her journey back home to try to get to Kevin. And she meets up with John Candy in a very weird, like, I guess it, I don't want to say cameo because... He pops up in the trailer, and I think he's in the credits, but, yeah, it's just such a weird role. It's such a nothing role, and even though John Candy is, like, 
one of the greatest comedic actors uh, of our time, or just of, of all time, I should say. But here in Home Alone, it just doesn't work, and uh, it doesn't work with me trying to sympathize more with the mom. I don't know. That's just me because, you know, you figured she would have learned her lesson. And then, of course, in the sequel, like, the same thing happens again. And it's like she's, like, you know, whatever. But, yeah, (laughs) I'm going on this whole tangent here. But this just circles back to what the synopsis of the movie is, is that I don't think Kevin is as big of a troublemaker as the marketing makes it seem, as the description of the movie makes it seem. Like, he's just he's just a kid. He asks questions and is never yelling, never, a, you know, mean or anything like that. Does he get a aggressive? Yes, but only when he's provoked. Like, uh, gosh, what's the brother's name? <laughs> the one that where he, he tries to push him over because he eats his cheese pizza. Did anybody order me a plain cheese? One of my favorite lines in the movie. Shout out to David Medina for uh, putting that line up on Facebook. Just made me laugh. Um Buzz, the freaking brother. So whenever he's provoked by him, like, yeah, he gets angry and defends himself or stands up for himself. I don't blame Kevin. He's not a troublemaker, okay? He just gets put in positions where, like, yeah, it makes it seem like he is. And then everybody turns on him, turns heel on him. They're all heels. Don't worry, Kevin McAllister. I got your back. All right, I'm your tag team partner. I got you against all these geeks that think you're some jerk. Especially the way, uh, was it his uncle? Look what you did, you little jerk. That guy. F that guy. F that whole family. Except Kevin McAllister. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the synopsis. And uh, as you can tell, I kind of disagreed with it. But uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the critical reception of this movie before we get to the box office. So let's talk about Cisco and Ebert again. These are the prominent. Uh, critics during the 90s. Uh, if, this, if this movie were released in 2020, there would be a whole bunch of people saying whatever they want about this movie because everybody's a critic. Even everybody that's got a podcast thinks they're a critic. I try to think I'm a critic sometimes, but no. Back in the 90s, we all paid attention to what Siskel and Ebert, you know, the diehard film people. You know, I know there's people that are like, whatever, F critics. We don't care. We're going to watch what we want to watch. But Siskel and Ebert were in a lot of the marketing. They had their own show. And again, you can you can search a chunk of their movie reviews on YouTube. Just search up Cisco and Ebert and type in whatever the movie is that you wanna that you wanna look up. And and more than likely, specifically in the '90s, there's a review there for it. Um, they both gave this movie a thumbs down. Um, which I mean, I guess I understand in terms of like an overall movie, but you know, because some of the stuff doesn't like really makes sense plot wise and a lot of stuff just maneuvers until we get to the finale and the the hijinks at the house but that's the whole point right it's a family comedy you don't have to put that much thought into it and i know it's people could easily say well shouldn't you try to make the best movie possible but yes but this movie is targeted for kids like this movie was targeted for me when i was a kid in in, in the 90s like it catered perfectly to me it didn't matter to me if the the story wasn't that believable one of the things that Cisco and Ebert really tackle here and try to poke at is that oh this wouldn't this wouldn't happen if a kid was home alone uh he'd probably be more scared and I want to know what it's really like to be left alone well like yeah but that's the whole point is that this is a Hollywood movie like you have to 
ham it up, especially for a kid's movie. You have to sell it. And what's cooler than, like, being a kid and defeating bad guys in your own home by doing a bunch of shit, pulling a bunch of pranks and, and, you know, just beating the crap out of them? Like, that's badass. That's badass to a kid, especially to a kid like me in the 90s. Yeah, that that's that that premise sold. So you didn't have to put that much effort into the into the um, into the plot and whether stuff didn't make sense and you know the other characters in the movie. Like the the movie works because he has to bounce off of um, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, and that combination right there is good enough. Like that's all you need. A majority of the movie is just those three. The other supporting characters, whatever the John Candy thing again, that doesn't work. The mom, she's fine, but again, I don't feel sympathy for her, but that's on my end. But I'm sure there's people that are sympathize with her. But the, the whole chunk of the movies is Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, and Daniel Stern. That's what you care about. That's what it's all leading up to. All the, you know, weird meetups and, oh shit, are, are the McAllisters home? Are they not? And Kevin's maneuvering throughout, you know, doing grocery shopping, getting stuff for the house, and then, you know, finding out about these bandits and then, you know, just getting the house in order, pranks, all that stuff. That's all you care about. And, and as a kid, that's all that matters. So, you know, take it easy, Siskel Neeper. This is where I'll attack the critics. Like, sometimes they just overdo it and they got to get so, like, I, I, I don't want to say, like, turn your brain off because I, I don't like to do that. I mean, you know, because I think this movie is good either way. Like, it works as a narrative. Like, it's not like, oh, shit, this movie doesn't make any sense at all. But, yes, there's points where you're like, okay, this is a family movie. It's kids. It's haha, It's fine. So calm down, critics. And I think Siskel and Ebert were – I don't want to say they're wrong because they're entitled to their opinion. But also, like, just, you know, it's a it's a kid's movie. What do you expect? Um, Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes and let's look at what the critics thought. And the audience as well, which is the only reason why I like to look at this. I want to see if it balances out, if it's one, lopsided one way or the other. So out of a total of 54 reviews, and again, this was in 1990, so the the field was very shrunk. So not a lot of critics out there today. This movie would have gotten like almost 200 reviews, maybe more, because um, I still think this would be a big, or I don't know, maybe it'd be a stream. I'm getting ahead of myself. But... Field was short, 1990, so 54 reviews. It got a 65%. And it's got a fresh tomato on there, but it's still kind of like on the low end of a positive number. Um, but nonetheless, it is positive. And the audience, which uh, actually liked the movie a bit more, and this was, of course, uh, indicative of what the actual whole mainstream audience was, because spoilers, this is the highest grossing movie of 1990. Uh, they had a score of 80% out of, uh, what is it? Looks like it's 1 million ratings here. 1 million ratings here on this website uh, for Home Alone. So a little bit lopsided. The, the movie audience liked this more than the critics, and it's reflected in the box office. So let's talk about that. So this movie had a budget of $18 million. Now, it's actually pretty high for a movie like this, at least I think, because there's... And I'm sure a lot of it was because of the set designs and the house and and all the pranks and all that stuff. You gotta you gotta have a bit of a budget for that, even though it looks all homemade and all that stuff. But it, I'm sure the houses was on a big stage and they had to create all these sets. I'm pretty sure that's 
that's how they did it. But anyways, so it has a budget of $18 million, Opens on, again, November 16th, 1990, to $17 million. Now, remember, what was my parameter? What I thought was, like, huge in the 90s. Opening up to 20 to $25 million. So 17 is pretty good on par for, like, a kid's movie. So, like, it's pretty up there. So this movie ends up going to gross $285 million in the United States alone domestically. And then internationally, internationally, it grosses $191 million for a total worldwide gross of $477 million. Now, the movie I tackled earlier in this series, Ghost, actually wins if you if you take box office like overall, including the worldwide numbers. That's the number one movie. But if you're looking to just domestically, Home Alone is the top grossing movie uh, in the United States, and, and rightfully so. I think it's a, an, a comedy classic. It's one of those movies you can watch over and over. It's timeless. Yes, some of the products in the movie have aged, but overall, the whole premise of the movie... I think still works today. Although there's, I mean, there's nitpicks. There's stuff you could be like, well, why didn't he just call the police right at the beginning? Whatever. If you take that away, if you don't overthink it, the movie still works. So for box office, this is pretty awesome. Um, and I want to mention real quickly on Rocky Five, which is coming later in this show. Um, that movie had its own obstacles to overcome, but... I always wonder, like, why did that movie, like, why did it, like, so underperform box office-wise? And I'm not blaming it on this movie, but I'm like, and I always thought, and again, I didn't know until I was doing my research for for putting this movie list together that these movies actually came out on the same weekend. So I'm like, oh, well, that's why. I mean, not the main reason, but a chunk of these people went to go see Home Alone instead of uh, the fifth movie in a franchise. So... Thanks a lot, Home Alone, for ruining Rocky Five. I'm just kidding. That's just that's just the the biased person in me. You know, I'm a total Rocky homer, but you know, I can't deny the success of Home Alone. And again, I, I enjoy the movie very much. It's fantastic. So let's get into my three things about this movie. And again, there's going to be a lot of positivity here. I don't think there's any negativity, although I can be kind of like tell you the stuff that doesn't work, but I could do that, but I think I'd rather just focus on the stuff that I did like. So these are going to be three likes for me for this movie. Uh, first off is Macaulay Culkin. Like, God, just adorable as heck. Uh, what a performance. You know, he carries the whole movie. You know, there's some kids, like, kids actors that, you know, you put them in the lead of a movie. And, you know, sometimes, like, they need that supporting cast to, to really make the movie work. And while this one does have Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern and Catherine O'Hara, uh, Macaulay Culkin is in a chunk of these scenes by himself, and he has to carry those scenes and make it believable and make it entertaining. And he's super charismatic. And this is part of the Hughes uh, universe. It's produced and written by John Hughes, who's, uh, you know, his record speaks for himself, uh, especially in the 80s with movies like The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and Uncle Buck. There's the joke... Uh, I'm sorry, the John Candy connection, which Macaulay Culkin actually shows up in in Uncle Buck. He's one of the kids in that movie. Smaller role, but you could see that there was potential there for him to kind of like, maybe this kid's going to be something. And sure enough, that's probably the biggest reason why they casted him for Home Alone, because he carries this thing. 
It's so awesome. Again, I don't see him as a troublemaker at all. Maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you do see him as a jerk and a brat. But I absolutely do not see that in the slightest. So everything he does here is awesome. Again, I go back to the grocery grocery shopping uh, scene um, when he does laundry. Um, when he's coming out of the shower and he's, you know doing the the aftershave and the the classic yelling and screaming the hands on the face you know just super iconic um macaulay culkin really exploded after this movie and i don't think it ever got as good for him in terms of like movies other than this this was probably probably his his best role um there's another movie that comes out later in the 90s and i think it's making my list it's called richie rich um but that's i like that movie for different reasons um but yeah, this is probably his best role, and you know, still to this day, people remember that movie and remember him in it. And even he hasn't shined away from it. He's, um, I think they did a commercial for Google, I believe it was, a couple of years ago for the Super Bowl, where he came back and did like a spot for it. And Joe Pesci came back too, which you know, these guys, you know, they haven't really been around in a very, very long time, but they'll pop up every now and then. Macaulay Culkin has popped out. At, in some movies as an adult, I haven't really seen those, but you know, again, mo- most of his fame came from when he was a kid, but yeah, th- th- he's still around in the consciousness as far as like that character. And, uh, he always returns to it in some form of fashion on social media. He'll make a meme or a joke about it. Like, I think there was one, I think he just turned 40 this year. I mean, that's all freaking old that movie is. And that's how much that kid has grown. I think he's 40. And uh, I think he shared like a compare and contrast of him from Home Alone and what he looks like now. And he's like, he's like, do you feel old yet? You know, so just something like that. So he always returns to those roots uh, every now and then. So I like that. I like that he hasn't forgotten the role that kind of made him uh, as popular as he was uh, in in Hollywood. Um, so that's awesome. So that's my first thing about this movie. The second thing is, of course. The John Williams score. Uh, John Williams is more known for Star Wars and Indiana Jones and, you know, kind of like more of those big action epics, uh, adventure stories. But every once in a while he'll do like some, some movies that you don't think. And Home Alone is a movie that you don't think like would garner a John Williams score. But it's very, very resonant throughout the movie. Very, I don't want to say iconic, but it's memorable when you hear it. The, uh, you just ha- you can just tell when it's John Williams. You know his beats. You know you look at a movie like that, a movie like more recently, and again this is a movie probably a movie only I remember, The Post with uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. You know there's a John Williams score, and he just very he's very familiar, so it works in this movie. Again, the score elevates the movie. Um, sometimes to, to a higher degree than you would imagine. So I was very, it, it, it's very resonant. It's very memorable for me. Um, I know it's on my playlist on Spotify when I'm doing my movie soundtracks. Home Alone is definitely in there. Um, yeah, that's just, just, I can't say enough. It's, it's a fun score. Uh, it really gives it that, uh, adventure, like, yeah, adventure type score. It's just fun. It's a total family, uh, sound to it so i like it a lot and uh the last thing that i do like about this movie is um daniel stern 
who I mentioned is the surprisingly underrated MVP of this movie. His physical and intellectual comedy is just unbelievable. Uh, he actually goes on to star in a comedy that I enjoy a lot. And maybe I'll tackle that one. It's uh, called Bushwhacked, and that's his movie. And he kind of plays that same buffoon-type character. And he's good in that role, but he can also like do serious roles too. Uh, but you see, see him here in Home Alone. And the minute he shows up with Joe Pesci, he's like right off the bat super hilarious. And then, of course, when they get to the pranks and all that stuff and the climax of the movie... Everything that he does is gold. Everything that I was rewatching this, everything that he's doing, I'm laughing my ass off from him like slipping down the stairs, from the way he, you know, gets his foot caught in a nail. And it's like all stuff that how it's probably how you would react if you came into that situation. You know, when he, he, he gets into the house through the window and he steps on all the ornaments and he's breaking when it's like you could totally feel it and understand it. Um, and then, of course, when he gets the tarantula, when Kevin McAllister puts the tarantula on his head and or on his face, and he gives out this such a such a scream that's just such so high pitched that it's like, oh, that's totally how you would react if that happened to you. So his physical comedy is so like it's so believable, and it's so like, oh man, I would totally react in the same way. So I love Daniel Stern a lot. Um, it's one of the reasons why you can't hate on the villains too much. Joe Pesci, yeah, you can kind of like, you know, this guy's a little bit of a scumbag. Um, and of course, this is the same year that Joe Pesci does freaking Goodfellas. And it's a total departure. That would, that would make for a weird double feature of Joe Pesci. Um, but yeah, he goes from that to Home Alone. And if you, if you listen to the Goodfellas episode, Daniel Tucker mentioned that Joe Pesci, uh, there's a tick that he does in this movie where whenever he he's pissed or whatever, he does like this. And the reason why he does that is that it was a way for him to not curse in the movie. Again, this is PG, total total kids movie. So to to see Joe Pesci the way he is in Goodfellas where he's dropping, dropping like so many F-bombs and he's doing all this violence – and he plays a villain here in a kids movie, but he has to, he, it has to be super friendly. So whenever he does that, it's because he wants to curse, but it was his way to stop himself from doing so. And, and it's a nice little like tick for that character. So just a little bit of backstory on that. And it's something I didn't know until Tucker told me. So it, it makes all the sense now. And even then, I think I kind of noticed it when I was little too. I was like, why is he doing that? Like, Sounds like he wants to say something like awful, but he just can't, and and that and that ended up being the case. So, yes, uh, Daniel Stern is my third thing about this movie. Pesci's fine and funny as well, but nothing matches the the hilariousness that Daniel Stern brings to this role. And uh, let's talk about um, how we would cast this in 2020. So it's actually going to be redone. On Disney Plus. Now I'm not sure if they're going to try to do a series out of it. Or if they're going to do like just a Disney Plus original movie. Uh, I'm kind of not on board with it. Like I mean they're going to do it regardless. Will I watch it? Probably not. Like I I have Disney Plus because of my kids. But would it be something that I would tune into? 
maybe if they want to see it, probably. But other than that, like me on my own, I would not want to. Just, I don't know. The magic of the original is just, it's kind of hard to capture. And they've kind of... They've kind of tried to do it over and over. Of course, the sequel tries to redo the first movie again, just on a in a bigger, you know, of course, bigger city, bigger sets, um, and it it didn't quite hit all the beats like the original did. And then, of course, the uh, the dumper sequels that followed after that, which didn't even feature Macaulay Culkin, it was other kids, and it just didn't work. So I don't know unless they could uh, get somebody really good. So like. Just for the sake of casting purposes, if I was going to recast this movie in 2020, again, this is my version, not what Disney Plus is going to do. If I was doing this exact movie the first for the first time ever, this version, this Home Alone, I'm given this script, and I'm going to direct it, and they're saying, hey, you can have whoever you want in this movie. It's like, what kid could capture that charisma? Um, I'm going to have to go with Jacob Tremblay. You know, just going by his performance in Good Boys which was an R-rated uh, kind of coming-of-age comedy. He's still at that young age, so you could pull it off. And the kid's got to be adorable, right, but can be pushed and kind of like have like a a little mean streak in him, but not to the point where you're like, as as a moviegoer, you're going to be like, oh, man, this guy's a brat. No, Jacob Tremblay, I think, could pull this off perfectly. Uh, would it be as good of a performance as Macaulay Culkin? Probably not. I don't think anybody really could match that. But I think he... Tremblay could be good in this role. And then for the Wet Bandits, you want to talk about a, a reunion comedy duo? I say you get Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. You know, you, you looked at their chemistry in 21 Jump Street. It would totally work. Uh, just goof, make them more goofy and put them in this role. You could have Channing Tatum in the Daniel Stern role, who I think could pull off the physical comedy and just make you laugh your ass off. And Jonah Hill could be like that little, like, you just have that little temper tantrum and just he could pull off wanting to beat the shit out of a kid just like Joe Pesci right like there's that moment in in the when they capture Kevin McAllister in the other house and Joe Pesci's like I'm gonna I'm gonna just gnaw off your little fingers I'm gonna bite him off one by one and the way he goes about it's like dude he's, this guy's gonna about to chew off Macaulay Culkin's finger off like unbelievable like he was just gonna do it like nothing like Jonah Hill could pull off that kind of intensity, that kind of like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, kid. I don't care if you're smaller than me. I don't care if you're if you're little. I don't care how old you are. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. So that's totally believable. So that's how I would cast it in 2020. The other characters, whatever, they're interchangeable. You can cast whoever. But Jacob Treblay as Kevin McAllister and Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum as the Wet Bandits. You got That's box office gold right there. I just made you $100 million And you would sell it. Um... For the adults, you got Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. That's your selling point. And then, of course, for the kids, Jacob Tremblay, you can totally, totally sell that. So I think that's how you should do it in 2020. If you're listening Disney Plus, that's how you cast it. But it's on Disney Plus, so it got to be a little bit more kid-friendly. I think my version would be maybe a little bit of a not rated R, but a, a really hard PG-13 where maybe the the pranks would be a little bit more older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more not violent, so to say, violent in a way where it's hilarious, not violent where you're like, oh man, that that was bad. Like these guys could be really hurt. No, you could push it as a hard PG thirteen, but in a very funny way. Um, would this movie, this version of this movie, be a streaming release or a theatrical release? 
Now, it's hard to answer that in 2020, right? Because we're in a pandemic. Nothing's come out. We've had more smaller movies, a couple of studio movies, but they've all pretty much underperformed, uh, not at any fault of their own. Um, but I would say, and I, I hate to say it, you know, studios, they want that big, you know, if it's not a comic book movie, if it's not some type of IP, it's going to be really hard for them to, to chase like original movies like and, and release them through their banner, which is why I'm always an advocate for Christopher Nolan always wants to do something original, something new, um, and not something like, you know, imagine Christopher Nolan doing Jurassic Park or, you know, Star Wars. Like, I'm sure he could give his version of it, but I'd rather see something original from him. Now, would this was released by 20th Century Fox. Would they go for this movie? And I know they're owned by Disney now, so, you know, it's kind of a moot point. But let's say this was Warner Brothers. Are they going to spend the 25 to 30 million to make Home Alone, which is a, you know, a family comedy like this? Like, it could be decent with the movie going audience, but would it be enough to, to gross? Like, what, would this movie gross 285 million in today's money? I don't know. I could see it maybe grossing a little bit over a hundred, especially if it's released around the holiday around Thanksgiving where it's got a little bit of legs to, to make, you know, that, that chunk of money. But to be an almost 300 million type movie for just like a comedy, like that doesn't happen a lot. I can't remember the last time a comedy, uh, made that much money. You know, that wasn't a comic book movie or, or Jurassic world or, or a Pixar movie. I just, it's hard. It's hard in today's landscape. And I wish it wasn't like that. So I'm going to have to go against uh, my heart here. And this would be, of course, a streaming movie. And again, we're seeing that because it's going to be redone on Disney+, Plus, which is a streaming platform. So there's that. And finally, does this movie hold up 30 years later? I think it's still super relevant in pop culture. I made my case for it earlier where it's like Macaulay Culkin continues to to reemerge and do something with that character every once in a while. Again, they had that Super Bowl commercial a few years ago. Everybody knew what it was. Um, I think whole new generations are discovering this movie. Again, I have to get a better understanding of what my kids think of these movies. Haven't really asked them on it. I really should have considering this movie was coming up. But I'm going to see them again this weekend. So I'll ask, I'll ask them what they thought of the Home Alone movies and whether they've seen only the original or, or any of the other ones. But... I'll get their thoughts on that and I'll do some some follow-up. But for me personally, I think it's hold up. You know, I, I loved it as a kid. I even like, I really love it as an adult now. And especially you can pick up on certain themes and, and all that stuff. Like one of the uh, obviously emotional beats that you really don't pick up as a kid is the the nice friendship he ends up, uh, Kevin McAllister ends up making with the the old man and, and that amazing scene that they have in the in the church. Whereas a kid, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to fast forward this shit because I want to see the hijinks at the house. But now, like, you watch it as an adult and you're like, man, it's such a heartfelt, emotional, gripping scene where it's talking about family and forgiveness and, you know, just to appreciate your family more. And, you know, and, and that's another one of the underrated things about this movie is that it really, in those moments, really does pull on the heartstrings. And it works. It worked. If you catch it early on as a kid, good for you. I didn't catch any of that when I was little. It was kind of like more like, uh, 
this is just slowing the movie down <laughs> but you know you're when you're a kid you're young and dumb you don't know but as a as an adult now like that's that scene hits a lot and then of course it ties into the very end of the movie and uh the old man um as he's conversing with Kevin McAllister in the church and he's talking about his son and doesn't know if he's ever going to speak to him again and he misses his granddaughter and then you see the way the movie ends with Kevin looking outside the window of his house and it's that old man reuniting with his son and and his grandkid and it's like oh like that's how, how can you, how can you give a thumbs down to any of that so i don't understand it so yes it holds up holds up tremendously it's a nice rewatch during the holidays. It's one of those where, like, if I made a marathon of, of uh, not just Christmas, but just holiday movies, I would throw in Home Alone as, a like, a top five, like, throw in there as an idea to, what can we watch as a family together? Home Alone hits all the notes, hits all the beats. It's tremendous uh, 30 years later. And I can't believe it's that old already. It just makes me think of how old I am now. Uh, incredible. Um, let's take a break. That's our first movie of our double feature. And coming up next, Sylvester Stallone returns as Rocky Balboa in Rocky Five. This is Palace Off the Top Row presents 90s films turn 30. We'll be right back. We're gonna miss the plane! In their rush to the airport, the McAllisters overlooked one minor detail. Now, his parents are in a panic. Somebody pick up. Pick up! Two burglars are in trouble. We know that you're in there. And heaven is in heaven. Home Alone. Ready PG. Starts Friday, November 16th at theaters everywhere. Welcome back to the show, or if you're listening for the first time today, this is Palace Off the Top Rope presents 90s Films Turn 30. Um... Thank you for tuning in to this double feature episode. Uh, we just finished covering Home Alone, and up next on deck is Rocky Five. Um, I think the consensus for most people that I know in my life, and from reading stuff on the internet, this is probably the least liked Rocky movie in the entire franchise, which is still going strong till today. With if you include the Creed movies. Um, I have revisited this movie over and over again, and I mentioned at the beginning of this pod that this this one specifically, now I can mention it, this one has gained momentum with me throughout the years in terms of like discovering new stuff and me liking it just more and more each time I see it. Now, is it a is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. There's a lot uh, that doesn't work in this movie. But that doesn't mean that it's not an entertaining movie overall, which it is. Now, a lot of people that I've talked to or that I've seen this movie have always uh, have always just said, "Ah, that, that Rocky Five sucks." Well, are you saying Rocky Five sucks in terms of a Rocky movie? Or are you just saying Rocky Five sucks as a movie in general? Because those are two different things. Now, if you're talking it, if you're talking about it as a bad Rocky movie, uh, just compared to the other ones. I totally understand your point. But if you're just saying this is like a flat-out, unwatchable movie, that you're totally wrong. And I will try to convince you on that and try to make the case for it. And I have along a special guest for this movie, or guests. I'm recording this. 
little intro before the actual conversation takes place. So we'll see what actually happens. So without further ado, hey, go for it. This is Rocky Five. Enjoy the show. From a million to one shot, he became a true champion of the world. Now, the glory. Because of the continuous violent blows to the head, the effects are irreversible. The crowds. My husband is retired. He has nothing more to prove. And the money are gone. You lost millions. Look, I still got my place in the old neighborhood. His title is in the hands of a new champion. He might win a few fights, but he's no Rocky Balboa. Controlled by an unscrupulous promoter. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. All that's left is his family. We've been down before. I'll get it all back. His heart. I gotta fight, okay? I got problems, I gotta fight. And a dream. A dream to get it all back. This is a tremendous opportunity. Opportunity for who? For you to make money for him to be disabled? You know he can't carry Balboa's cups. As long as they got Balboa on the brain, he'll always be champ. Man to fight, and if he refuses, then you gotta insult him. You gotta dog him. You gotta humiliate him. You gotta do whatever you got to do to get him into that ring. They tell me you're a piece of garbage. You know that? You told him I fight anywhere, anytime. In the ring, in the ring. Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. My ring's outside. Yeah. Let's do it. Come on, Tommy, knock me out. All right, folks, uh, I'm here with Daniel Tucker. This is his second round on this spinoff series. Uh, we did Goodfellas about late September. You can go check that out. It's uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. But welcome back, buddy. Thanks. Happy to be back. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm ready for this one. This one I kind of did. A little biased. I did a little bit more research on just because, you know, both you and I are, are very familiar with this franchise. And, uh, I think it's one of the reasons we, we kind of hit it off as friends first, you know, just our, our, our love of this, uh, franchise, specifically the first one is, I think, in our top like three of all time. So yeah, we have a, a very fondness for this character. For sure. For sure. Um, so here we are 30 years later for Rocky five. Um, next year will be the 45th anniversary, I think of, uh, the original Rocky. So I'm hoping for like, uh, I'm waiting for the 4k release of this, of this series where like we get everything, like all the special features. All, I mean, cause I looked up some stuff on YouTube for Rocky five and there's some stuff that I had never seen before, like an alternate opening of the movie or just different versions yeah. of the credits and stuff. You can like dig up like a quote unquote director's cut, but it's just a lot of things that are either alternate takes or taken out, which is really yeah. interesting. Um, I, I, obviously we're probably going to be bouncing back and forth, uh, in the series because obviously a lot of it, of, of course, connects because it tries to circle back to the original, uh, roots of, 
uh, of the first movie. Um, so what are your like, what are your first memories uh, of Rocky? And what's the like the, the first one you saw growing up? Or, you know, did you watch it as a marathon? Or how did that come about? So we had cable as a kid. And that's probably where I saw these for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I saw one or two first, because it was probably like a marathon on AMC or TNT. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I watched like one and two back to back and then just became obsessed and would see the. And then I didn't know that there was like a three. So I was excited when I saw three on TV once and four and five. I was young, young. So like <laughs> just dug into it all. And then Rocky Balboa coming out was huge mm-hmm. for me. And then uh, just always been obsessed. I, I cite the first as my favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's uh, always been a part of me. It feels like we saw Rocky Four uh, at Silverado during uh, an employee get together, and I think we, we put the Blu-ray up on the big screen. So that was fun yeah, thing to see. So yeah, yeah. We didn't get to do, or I never got to see any of these movies on the big screen until Rocky Balboa. Just like you, uh, again, I was too little for for all of those, but. My earliest memories were, of course, I had a, a box set of Rocky 1 through 4. So those I wore out, like, ridiculously, specifically probably 3 and 4. And then, obviously, as I grew up later, got more, you know, with how movies work and what's actually good. And, of course, started falling in love more with the original. And even, to to an extent, the sequel. Um, but Rocky 5, like, it took me a while to, like, get like a, a rewatchability on it and i would have to wait uh for like a marathon on tv because that box set didn't have part five uh, and i think it was that box set that i had it was it would always promote rocky five in the commercials so i think it was either about to come out in theaters or it was about to be released on home video so that uh that box set i, I only could go by the trailer and i was like man i want to i want to see that movie so bad and um I remember liking it. It was fine as a as a kid. Like, like it was just there. Like, I, I never never really thought of it as a bad movie, but it was kind of more of the like on the lower end. Like, where it's like, no, nah, I'll go back and revisit the other ones. And of course, I watched them over and over. But you know, growing up over time, would you know, settle in for part five a little bit more, pay pay more attention to what's going on in the story. And everyone, like as I was growing up, would always talk about how bad this one was and. I kind of just never understood it. Were you the same, like, hearing all the negative things on it? I didn't know till later. Like, I probably saw Rocky Five on TV, and I was like, oh, this is a million notes. But I I didn't even hear that it was terrible till probably after I saw it. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't understand. Or maybe I just heard that it was always bad, or it never came on TV mm-hmm. a lot. And honestly, like, there's not a lot of work being put into putting it out there. Even with the poster for the movie, like, half of it is him holding the flag from Rocky IV. True. Like, there's not a lot of promotional stuff out there for the movie in general. Yeah. So, it's just, yeah. Um, I, actually, you know what? You're right there on the marathon thing. Like, it would have to be, like, once in a blue moon when they would uh, air part five. Because I think, for the most part, they would always just air one through four. Because yeah. I remember, like, five, like, you would have to catch it, like, on a some random day where they did it. Now they pretty much show all of them all the way up until Balboa. But, 
yeah, for a while there, they wouldn't add in part five as part of the, the whole uh, time slot. And like, that's weird. Yeah. No, that's, it's just, and even then it'd be like the late show. Yes. So if was coming on, you'd miss it. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're 30 years later on this movie and I wanted to give you a synopsis that's given for us here on box office mojo for it. Uh, just, it's pretty basic of what the movie is just to, uh, tell our audience uh, and it goes a little something like this reluctantly retired from fighting Rocky takes charge of Mickey's gym and agrees to train a young protege who's hungry for success now this movie follows obviously part four which came out in 1985 so it's coming five years later and to my knowledge Rocky four is still the most financially successful of the series and that's including like the Creed movies, and I know adjusted for inflation, it's probably, you know, even more higher, but I don't really like to go into that. It's kind of unfair to, you know, do that with present day movies and movies of the past. Like, you know, we have to go by what they did during their time. Um, But you figured that this is an interesting follow-up to arguably the most popular Rocky movie. Would you agree? Rocky four, probably the most popular. Yeah, I think so. And it's like, it's always interesting too is people can't tell you what's from what. Like they've always thought that Eye of the Tiger was there since the first one. Right. Things like that. So yeah, I think four is the one that everybody knows. And even in like family guys made fun of it like twice. Yeah. It's the one that everybody knows. Yeah, it's always like, oh the the one where he fights the Russian or whatever. Like they don't even yeah. they don't even call it by the the number. They just go by who the villain is and that's the one that's I've seen in other movies been referenced more than any of the other uh, movies. So that just goes to show, I think it's as far as it's mainstream appeal um, and for it being the fourth movie, like, can you name me like a movie where like the fourth one is probably the most successful? Like it's very, very rare. Like, I don't, I, don't, I was trying to think Not on yet. this, like. I don't count Marvel m- movies as part of this to be honest. No. Cause it's, it's, uh, but no. I can't. <laughs> it's very, it's a, it's a very rare feat, and I don't think Stallone gets enough credit for that. Like that, it, to this day, it's still like the highest grossing. So, given all that, I, I think figured... the closest, but in terms of consistency, it's the Rocky franchise. Right, right. So, given all of that success that that movie had, and the popularity, and and all that stuff, you figured the follow up would at least um, garner the the attention, the, the, the appeal of, of, of people wanting to go check it out. But if you watch the trailer for the movie and I watched it a couple of times, I'm like, man, what a weird direction to go for like the fifth movie Uh, as a story, as far as like expanding the mythology and all that stuff. Like I found it, you know, now looking at it as an adult, it it was a bold move. It's ambitious to a degree. Like, um, you know, it's like following up the Dark Knight with the Dark Knight Rises. Like you were never probably going to match the feat that you did in that movie, but to go in the direction that you did with it, like may not please everybody, but it's a bold move. I don't know what what did you think of the decision to to take the story that way for for Rocky? I don't know. Like what's weird is they waited so long too, because mm-hmm. uh, four came out in what eighty eighty five. Yeah, so that's the longest period between any Rocky movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the, the um, 
reasoning was to take the story this way, but even watching that trailer, you can kind of like, you're just like, oh, this is the way we're mm. going now. But okay. I like that there's, um, and you mentioned this earlier off here when we were talking, that there, this is the first movie that really tackles consequences of being a boxer and, and, and yeah. that kind of damage that could get done in that type of profession. And also gave me unrealistic expectations because uh, I always thought, like, you look at movies like in Rocky Three, and then obviously in Part Five with Tommy Gunn, like all these fights that they're going through. And I was like, man, like, how come in real life, like, big fighters only have like maybe one or two a year? Like, this isn't like, is this supposed to span like a lot of years, or exactly, is this all yeah. in the span of a couple of months? Like, that's just it. It just gave me unrealistic expectations, and I was like, huh, that's that's interesting. But I like that the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, brain damage is brought up in every movie. Right. And they finally deal with it in the fifth movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you figure, right? Because the movie opens up, like, and it and it's kind of giving you an idea, like, oh shit, like he this this guy went through like the biggest fight of his entire career. And for those of you that have never seen Rocky Five, like, just watch the opening minutes where it recaps Part Four, which Rocky, like, yeah, it became episodic, but each movie is kind of its own but it was, I think it's still the best in like recapping everything that's come before. And yeah. uh, I think I could say with confidence, this is probably the best recap because it's more detailed and goes really into the punishment that Rocky takes from Ivan Drago. And you're like, and Oh, okay. We're going to, we're going to finally deal with what happened in this fight. They edit it in a way that it hits more. Yes. Um, the, the, the others just played out a somewhat sometimes. Mm truncated version of it right but yeah they actually like told a different story that opening is cool and it's solid i love it i think it's that opening is better than a lot of like if you there's like bad movies and i'm gonna stay off record or real like on the record this isn't a bad movie at all and uh there there's worse movies and i can tell you there's like this opening of rocky five is better than a lot of like just mid-tier movies like i'll take i'll watch this opening like over and over and i was doing it a lot during the research of this movie like it's so fucking awesome with the the bill conti conquest uh theme playing and it's such a heightened version of it which i still can't find anywhere other than youtube and it's like come on spotify come on apple music come on bill conti i don't know if he's still alive like you got to release that version of that song at some point because i think it's his best uh work since like all the stuff that he did in the original for sure, for sure. He's um, still around, by the way. Well, good. I hope I'm gonna see if there's a way I can tag him on this. Um, I, yeah, we got to get that version of that song. Balboa, but uh, I'd love to see uh, more that we haven't been able to get. Some unreleased tracks, like something. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of tracks. I know we're we're jumping ahead to Balboa a little bit, but there's uh there's some tracks in there. It's like, oh, cool. There's some new sounds here. And I don't think yeah. those were ever released. I know we only got that three six mafia song, which was a choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a discussion for another time. Uh so back to Rocky Five. That's the so what this movie does tackle is the aftermath of the Ivan Drago fight and Rocky now dealing with the fact that he does have some tor- some sort of brain damage and he does have to uh, you know, reluctantly retire and some shenanigans that happen with their whole money and they end up losing everything 
and go for broke and they have to move back to like the south side of like philly like where they originally came from so you start to see them dress up more like their original characters from the first movie and there's a a lot of that stuff there's a cute scene where he takes out his hat and his ball from a box yeah i always like that scene it's almost like like after he went so the the rocky franchise it starts as a good trilogy three begins to dip its toe into the 80s and then four goes really 80s to where he's like not even rocky right but five seemed to have a desire understandably to instead of trying to recreate all the magic of the fourth one to bring it back down to its roots um back to bringing the director back from the first one two three and four are directed by stallone but john j avidson got an oscar for directing rocky Mm -hmm. uh back in the day and uh won best picture back in the day so they were obviously trying to recreate all of that stuff well i think the people at uh at mgm and stallone didn't realize that this guy did karate kid part three which was i i like that movie but it's like universally shit on um didn't he do all of the Karate Kids? He did, but that one, like, is far, like, as far as, like, it being a complete, like, good movie, it's not. Like, there's a lot of problems with it. And sure. uh, I, I don't know if Stallone noticed noticed this or watched it or nobody at, uh, and I'm not faulting him for anything that happened in, in Rocky Five. Like, they're just, I don't, I don't know if that had some effect or, or, or whatnot. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overthinking it a little bit. I remember back in the day too. He was attached to that, uh, um, um, Karate Kid sequel with uh, Killer Swank. No, the Jaden Smith. Oh gosh, that version. He's still okay. listed on IMDb as attached to it as of 2017, but I doubt that's going anywhere. But interesting. Let's see. Yeah. Um, why do you, why do you think, was it more just to try to recreate that magic that they brought that Stallone was like, eh, let's bring him back for the, for the fifth one. And, you know, I'll step aside and just do the acting and writing for it. It was, I, here's the thing though, is he's a producer too. So, and if you're the gatekeeper of a franchise, you call a lot of shots. Uh So I don't know who was responsible. I would love to like do a documentary on Rocky Five, like dig people up and just have them talk Stone's done a lot of shit talking about this, and I bet you a lot of it comes from the, the failure of the movie. It was supposed to be like one of the biggest hits of the holidays, but then Home Alone came out and like crushed that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know who to point the finger at, and it doesn't feel like a movie where it has a lot of interference from people. Well, I think yeah. the only interference from the studio was that they didn't want the Rocky character killed off, which was, I think, one of the options that Stallone was thinking about. And I'm not sure if uh, the director was thinking about that too, but when it was presented, the studio was like, nah, you don't kill off characters like this. Like, and even then, like, the movie charted, the way it charts itself makes, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But that's also because I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, let's talk about the the critical reception of this movie real quickly. Um, I charted back to the other Rocky movies that were reviewed by Cisco and Ebert. And for the most part, they enjoyed the series up until a point where I think it's like by part four, they were like done with it. Um, they were super excited about the sequel and they were like, oh, we can't wait for Rocky three. And then they were kind of like, oh, like this wasn't what we expected. And, you know, like you said, the character kind of like gets away from what he originally is and kind of like he's just playing himself now. He's playing like it's kind of like a, what is it? Life or art imitating life or life imitating art, however you phrase it. Yeah. That type of thing. And I think one through three are very personal stories for me. Three just continues the trajectory of two. Mm-hmm. That whole opening sequence, the first act is him just dealing with what him ex- exploding into a worldwide household name. Right. So I think th- three deals a bit more of that, mm-hmm. but also begins to taper off into what he turns into in four, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is just the cartoon character. Yeah. All right. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties there. Uh, Our connection broke up on Zoom, which is how this was recorded. So I'm going to see if I can try to pick up exactly where uh, the conversation starts going again. So apologize for that. Uh, Here's my conversation with Daniel continuing on Rocky Five. And then part four kind of turns into a cartoon character, but four is a lot of fun. And uh, I forget why we got on this subject. Oh, because we, we were talking about how um, Ebert and Cisco had like the the first two movies, oh, yeah, and then yeah. they kind of like soured on on once they hit part four. Yeah, three. When you go back to it, it feels very small, mostly mm-hmm. because it's a pointless first twenty minutes with him and Hulk Hogan. Yes, you forget how long that is. <laughs> <laughs> And then, um, yeah, so by the time we, we get to part five, I didn't uh, I didn't see, until you linked me up before we started this podcast, I couldn't find them reviewing part five. Um, but from this little link that you sent me, I can see little blurbs, and uh, I can see that they're saying that there's, like, small moments in this movie, which I think there's more than small moments. There's, like, a good chunk of stuff there that's really good. But uh, if we really turn our attention critical-wise to... Rotten Tomatoes, if you look here, it's at a 29% from the critics, but this is only out of a total of 35 uh, reviews, which there weren't so many back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And then, but the audience wasn't that much different, and that's the only reason why I like to look at this. I like to see if it, if the audience thought more of it than the the critics did, or if they were kind of like even. And they were kind of like in agreement with the with the critics. It's at thirty one percent out of two hundred and sixty eight thousand ratings that were posted uh, on this uh, website for this movie. Yeah, that's what's so interesting. I just don't get. I don't know. We'll, we'll dive into it's that got, a little later. Probably why this movie doesn't like work for people. Razzing nominations and everything. It's like really. I don't know because you released this movie like. Couple years ago, I mean, it's it's I don't I don't get it like where the it get Razzie nominations and all that stuff like I don't see it. Exactly, that's my opinion. All right, here's the critics' consensus here on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, let me read it for you. It says Rocky Five's attempts to recapture the original's working class gift 
uh, or grit are as transparently uh, phony as each of the suddenly obvious plot developments in a misguided installment that sent the franchise flailing into long-term limbo. Damn, that's harsh. <laughs> that's probably one of the more harshest consensus I've seen here on Rotten Tomatoes for a movie. Yeah, it's just like, why? Hmm. I, it's just an enigma. <laughs> like I said, until we get like a documentary on it and, and I would love to, I probably want to look up more media on this movie and see what other people were saying at the time. Like just maybe like audience reactions and stuff like that. I'm sure I can I, find some stuff. I know too that like it lost a bunch of money. Yes. And actually let's talk about that right now. Cause uh, let's get into the, the box office of it all. Um, this movie had a budget of 42 million, which I think is pretty high for a, a movie about boxers. Um, you know, Home Alone didn't cost like a lot. And it's kind of like that one I felt like had more production design on it than a movie like Rocky. Uh, the only thing I could see them spending a lot on is all the, the boxing glitz, but I I'm sure a chunk of it is because of it's Stallone's uh, salary, which he got like a 62% like increase. If you go back to the original movie, which is like, it was a pretty high for its time. Crazy. Like nobody's getting that. Who's getting that kind of money now? Like other than like a uh, Robert Downey Jr. Like The Rock, Leo, oh The Rock, Sandra Bullock. Um, Sandra Bullock would still get that today. Millie, but oh, she got a shit ton of money for Bird Box. Millie Bobby Brown got paid for like thirteen million for that, that Holmes movie. Shit. Well, I retract what I just said then. <laughs> Mark Mark. Ryan Reynolds, Vin Diesel. Unbelievable. Um, thinking of people out here. Let's look it up. Highest paid actors. Highest paid actresses of uh, 2020. That's crazy. Ellen Pompeo. Sofia Vergara. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't think stuff like that was happening anymore, just with, given with um, how we're transitioning more into just IP and the brand. The death of the movie star is a thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that people are getting paid a fuck ton of money. Right. Like I think Scarlett Johansson was top of the list one year. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have this information at hand, but I don't need it anymore, so I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to this movie. It's got a $42 million budget. It opens on November 16th up against uh, Home Alone. And I think you mentioned, was it The Rescuers Down Under? That that was another movie that opened on that day? Yeah, and that flopped as as well. Um, So Home Alone ended up being the number one movie of 1990 box office-wise in the U.S. I think overall, I think Ghost had a higher gross, like when you combine international grosses. But uh, Home Alone was the surprise hit of the holiday season. And, uh, you know, no, I mean... I like that movie a lot, so I'm not going to like fault it or anything like that. Um, but yeah, the $42 million budget was probably a big reason. Um, this movie lost a lot of money, which you mentioned. Um, it opened at $14 million, at $3 million less than Home Alone. Um, so it had a pretty decent opening up against a big holiday family comedy like that. Um, and given that this, this was the... Too, like, Home Alone was such a massive like game changer. Yeah. It was doing like ET 
levels of box office, and then it was doing Jur Jurassic Park would be the next comparable thing a couple of years later. For sure. And then also, like, you start looking, like, part five, like, are people, like, fed up already with uh, this franchise? You look at horror movies like a Jason or a Freddy Krueger or whatever, and it's, like, really, like, a part five, like, maybe that had something to do with it. Um, either way, this movie grosses total in the U.S. $40 million, which is uh, the lowest in the entire franchise. Uh, it does a little better internationally, $79 million, because uh, Stallone, you know, is one of the few stars that did well, like, internationally. Like, you look at guys like Tom Cruise and yeah. I forgot who else you can put in that list. Uh, I don't know, Schwarzenegger, one of those people? Schwarzenegger is uh, usually most of the people that were big in the 80s were big mm -hmm. over there in the 90s. Bruce Willis? So, <laughs> I don't know what Bruce Willis is for box office looks like, but I'm assuming Die Hard is huge. Yeah. You know so what's the, interesting is um, this is a sequel to a movie that won Best Picture in the 70s. Mm -hmm. But again, it's coming off Rocky IV, which is the that's the the thing that's like mind boggling to me is that that one was the most popular, most successful. I figured there would have been, for sure, at least like a bigger opening. And then maybe it falls off like quickly, but I don't know. Well, the only exception to this rule seems to be John Wick. Yes. John Wick keeps going more and more and more. But generally speaking, like you look at Pirates or Star Wars or any of these movies, they get big and then they crash. Right. But they don't crash this bad. Yeah. They just either perform the same or just like roughly the same. Right. Um, the point of that death picture when the 70s that godfather 3 came out this year too right that was a it was also a sequel to the best picture from the it, 70s and that one had a longer gap uh yeah. as far as like release and i'm sure the hype for it was insane mm -hmm. um, so yeah 119 worldwide total gross for this movie which if you look at by today's numbers like that's actually decent <laughs> um, yeah and, but also, like, nobody talks about this movie. Right. Like, we were talking about earlier, um, people were, people will not be able to tell you which Rocky is, is which, but they'll be like, oh, Mr. T, or I the Tiger, or the, mm. the Russian, or Yo, Adrian, like, all this stuff. Nothing from Rocky Five entered the cultural uh, lexicon. Is it kind of like, uh, this is like the original Fast and Furious, where, like, you get so lost in like what numbers is that you really just care about the characters and the situations that they're put in. Like, you're like, Oh, this is where Dom and uh, Brian robbed the bank in Rio or whatever. And they dragged the vault, but you don't say like part five or whatever. It's just. Oh yeah. I guess unless you have, like we have different wired kinds of brains. I can only guess how people do it. Right. And also because for this particular series, I'm so involved with these characters. I love each movie so much, but yeah, I, maybe it's like that. I just mean um, in terms of like a mainstream appeal. I'm not talking about guys like you and me. Like we know which movies oh, yeah, which. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but, uh, that's what what I'm saying is I don't know. I guess that's how people would would do it. But and I've talked to people who think that Mr. T's the first bad guy in the first movie. So it's like what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it's crazy how far away we're removing from like how old the Rocky character is. Like I dressed up like him this weekend for '80s. And uh, I, I came across somebody at work, like in their early twenties, 
knew what I was going for, but then she was like, oh, but I've never seen the movies. Like, ha And I was just like, oh man, like give it a chance or watch it. Like, you know, educate yourself a little bit. Like, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've met people too that are like, uh, um, that say, oh, he's just a dumb guy. I don't think it's that. I'm like, watch the movie. Yeah. Like, like people thought that the Oscar buzz for him and Creed was a joke. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And they, and because they hadn't even seen it, and just, also like it's such an easy thing to parody. Yeah. Like, you know. And it's crazy Creed. because this franchise is a little bit older than Star Wars, and yet it's still like kept up as far as like. I think this is the only franchise where every decade there's been a movie. Yeah. In the franchise, which is awesome. And uh we'll see if Creed three happens uh in this decade, which I'm hoping uh just to continue the legacy. <laughs> but uh I'm excited to see what happens in the future if they oh, do a sure. three. Um but even Creed rejuvenating the whole thing shows you that people are still in in the yeah um so let's see there's a lot about this movie uh that we like um so i guess we can jump into the things that we liked or things that we didn't like about this movie um i guess do you want to start off any of your notes that we can jump off of and uh we'll just bounce off each other so i guess what's one thing that you liked about this movie i like the relationship between him and the kid um the chemistry there all that kind of stuff because it's his real life kid. Did it bother you at all that they changed the kid? Like I know when I saw it when I was little, I was like, "Well, this does this is weird." Like I, yeah, mean, I didn't understand it. Like this is what this movie is, so we're just gonna go with it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny how you read the reasoning behind it. Like this kid was actually Sage Stallone was actually the same age as the kid from Part Four, but by the time the movie came out. They were both 14, but the kid really should have been nine years old, I think, in storyline-wise. But the math is off. But, again, if you kind of like, you know, I hate to say turn off your brain or just don't overthink it. You just go with it. Yeah, I don't really – the logic of the movie is this is the kid. Now I do understand that the kid grew a bit. Yeah. (laughs) It took him five years to get home or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I was just wondering your mindset as a kid when you saw, like, oh, like, did you think anything of it or just like? No, I didn't think about it until somebody pointed it out. And that's <laughs> probably because of that. It's never bothered me since. Okay, so talk to me more about Sage Stallone and acting with his dad and um, just their whole relationship in the movie. It's a cool chemistry between the two of them. It's fun to see him hang out, and I dig the. The idea of a, uh, two sons, his his real son and his son that, you know, he's trying to in, invest in to help him relive his glory days and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And to the point where he loses track of what's most important and blah, 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 blah. I dig that whole thing. That's the whole point of the movie, too. So I'm totally on board with all, all of that. I think it's a good heart of the movie. Oh, for sure. Um, I just didn't like the the continuity of it as far as like what happens later on in the movie. So like, and you figure like they're good um, there in part five, like by the end of it. But then in Rocky Balboa, they're like kind of estranged again, and then they make up again at the end of it. And then when we come to the Creed yeah. movie, like he, they're estranged again. So it's like, well, 
shit that they really even have a relationship like i don't know it's just it's kind of yeah. sad in a way but also like well what is it just bad continuity writing i don't know yeah it's just that they write it out so we don't have to deal with it that's the impression i got mm-hmm. um uh-huh. do you have any more thoughts on their relationship that's all i got cool um, I want to stick with the the relationship part. Um, my first point is I really love the the chemistry here between Polly and Rocky. I think this is the first movie where they're like really never like one's pissed at the other. You know, they're always kind of like at each other's throats. Like, yes, they're friends. But I think here they kind of have like a more lighthearted friendship and they're real jokey with each other. And they're doing a lot of like side talking while <laughs> other stuff is going on in the scene. Like, for example, when Duke... And uh, the, his other companion are like just, you know, pressuring Rocky into, you know, trying to get him licensed to fight and yeah. saying some shit off to the side to Polly. And Rocky's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Urban blight? Like just little, like dumb little conversations like that. And I fucking I love, love it. Their whole chemistry is, in this movie is. Uh, which awesome. is hilarious too, because like he's the guy that got him in a shitty situation. They still keep him around. Yeah. It's so, like, hey, if you lost us all of our money, come move with us. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's their relationship is so great in this movie. It's one of the joys of it. Uh, I mean, I, yes, I enjoy the the whole stuff with the son and uh, that that whole dynamic's cool. But the the whole Polly and Rocky friendship, I think, is really is shown here why like he considers him a best friend, even though like he's done like some questionable things. And even in the end, when uh, he ends up fighting Tommy Gunn, it takes him punching Polly to finally like push him over the edge to be like, oh, "Fuck this!" Like I'm gonna. That's a brutal punch to Polly too. Like... Yeah. So brutal. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's my first thing that I really liked about this movie, and it's, it's consistent throughout the whole thing. So um, I really enjoyed that, and it kind of makes the when he talks about him in uh, Creed and flash. Oh yeah, talk about that a little bit. What he I didn't notice that he had his uh, binoculars slash flash type deal. The, the binoculars that he wears the whole movie, he drinks out of them in one scene. It's a flash. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. What what part is that? And I'm going to go back and see that. I'm going to have to go and find it. But oh, man. I'll find it and send it to you. It's like when they're training, I think. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go back to that scene. Man, there's always stuff to discover in this movie. <laughs> um, it's a good movie, man. What's another thing you enjoyed about this movie? Burgess Meredith, The oh. Resurrection of Mick, oh, which was yeah. filmed before. Was that the story? What was that? Because he was already dead when the movie shot. They filmed this for the fourth one, is that right? Am I? I don't think he was dead that? yet because I figured his whole, like, in memory of would have been plastered all over this movie, but I don't think he had died just yet. It may have been. Like, look where he died. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. He died in 97, so forget what I said. Forget everything. <laughs> I'll say the one they always mention in these movies is the the endearing memory of Jane Oliver, whoever that was. Oh, I I know this, but I don't know this. <laughs> but yeah, I know the mixed stuff is incredible. That if that doesn't pull your heartstrings and I don't know, your soul is. <laughs> and Rocky's drunk in that scene, right? The love's first personal manager. She died of cancer in seventy five. Oh, okay. And- Going on myself and indebted to her for helping him kickstart his career. Ah, uh, okay, okay. 
Um, back to the mix scene. Rocky's drunk in that scene, right? <laughs> or is he just stumbling With around him. the gym? <laughs> the, I don't know. I think he's just supposed to be sad. I thought he was drunk because he comes out of the bar and he's like with a cigarette, like half, half, you know, hanging out of his mouth, and he's just like, "Mick," and I don't know. He just, yeah, he's, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the things I finally noticed after like my thousandth rewatch of this yeah. movie. And he like narrates the speech to Mick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think Rocky's drunk a lot of time in this movie that we don't realize, including the Christmas scene. I don't think we see him drink except for the first movie. He drinks a lot of beer in, in the first movie. Then we don't see him drink again until this movie. Yeah. Well, you figure, you know, you lose your house, your millions, all that stuff. I'm, I'm sure he went on some type of bender. And they don't have to show it, but you could tell, like, in some of the scenes where he's a little off. No wonder he starts having a bad relationship with his kids. Yeah. <laughs> to drop that all the time now. Hey, hey kid, don't 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 change the station. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. Can we talk how he beats up Kevin Conroy? Con- Connolly? Yes, yeah, so let's not talk Kevin about Conroy. Rocky learning Rocky Jr. learning how to fight and uh Entourage's E is part of a, a little band of friends that are or they end up becoming his friends, but at first they're like bullies. Whatever that hair is. It's a mullet, I think. <laughs> Brutal. Um, who's really teaching him how to fight in that gym? Is it Polly? Is it that other guy from the first movie that they randomly brought back? Oh, Tommy? Who's actually teaching Tommy? No, no. Who's actually teaching uh, Rocky Jr. to fight? I don't know. It seems like they're just taking turns. Like, <laughs> whoever's in the room at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that fight scene's great. I love it when um, he's beating the shit out of Kevin Connolly, and the kids for some reason just start climbing the cage. <laughs> yeah, like what? <laughs> <laughs> and the whole go for it thing. Oh man, it's like a, uh, they really wanted to drive that tagline home. <laughs> it's all in the trailer. It's in the soundtrack, like in your face. And then, of course, they say it a lot in the movie. Tell Mr. T, go for it. I guess they were really leaning into that. Yeah, they're like, hey, that worked. That was cool. Let's let's use it for this. That was dope. (laughs) Um, His fucking earring, by the way, is the dumbest earring I've ever seen. uh, It's just, uh, yeah. It's a a whatever thing. It was, I guess, just a signal rebellion, I guess. (laughs) Very nice. Oh man, the whole movie is very nineties. Down to the turtlenecks, turtlenecks, and the yeah. soundtrack. Um, I kind of low key. That's one of my things. I, I low key like this soundtrack, even though a lot of the songs are ridiculous and it's just very. It's got elements of Bill Conti, but a lot of you could tell, like like you said, total nineties hip hop. Um, yeah. The hip hop wave is getting like huge, so they incorporated it into this movie. Um, you notice it a lot in Michael Jackson's album Dangerous, where it's like it's a lot of that same hip hop, like MC Hammer style uh, music. And it's like, whoa, like that's yeah. it's different. Um, like there's a version of what Take You Back that's kind of like hip hop. And I'm like, I didn't like that, but the Go For It song, uh, 
like you said, if you're in the mood for it, like it's kind of a beat. I think I, I think I have it on my gym playlist, and if it pops up, I'll I'll run the treadmill maybe a little bit faster than I would usually. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the bringing back Bill Conti is, is a huge part of why I like this movie because uh, Part Four totally detracts from that. Um, so it was a nice welcome back, and of course, like I mentioned right at the beginning of the movie when it recaps Part Four that version of conquest I think is just to me, it's probably my favorite bill Conti score. Um, and again, I'm going to tag him on it or find a way to reach out to him on this, to get that version of that song out there somewhere uh, on a streaming platform. So I could put it on my playlist. Uh, I don't like listening to the stripped down version on YouTube uh, or, or where I find the link. It's like, you could tell it's still the movie version, but they just, you could tell they take away the dialogue you can still kind of faintly hear it, but um, yeah, no, I really yeah. enjoyed that. No, I uh, since we're on Disney music, we should talk about Razzie nominated Measure of a Man. That was Razzie nominated. Yeah. No way. Sorry, God. Elton John. Oh. Yeah. That's like I said, they just piled on this movie, and I don't like get it. Like. Let's see. Here we go. Razzie nominated. Oh, Alan Menken did it too. That's why. Huh. Uh, the Measure of a Man, worst screenplay, worst director, worst supporting actor for Burt Young, worst, worst actress, Talia Shire, worst actress, Sylvester oh. Stallone, and worst picture. They got nominated, and it seems, let's see. Andrew Dice Clay won best or worst actor. Oh, my Derek won worst actress. John Barrett. Uh, worst new star, Sophia Coppola for Godfather Three. Everyone's just a hater on this. Okay, Ghost can't do it. That's the Donald Trump thing. Yeah, <laughs> the Donald Trump, Bo Derek, Julie Newmar, Anthony Quinn movie. My goodness, Talia Shire, really? Like, I thought this was probably her most. This is the movie where she talks the most. I would say probably. Yeah. I mean, she's got a... Three, she's got that monologue, which is screams at him. Yeah, but but I think even her her Rocky, you're losing your family scene, I think she's really good in that that moment. That's a really good scene, man. But I guess it's just people didn't want to see that. Because you do kind of have a sour taste in your mouth, but you're into the characters because we love them so much, so I'm into it. But I could see general audiences being like, Ugh. "We don't want to see our character struggling like this." Yeah, he already, huh. he already struggled, and he blah blah blah. Right. Huh. But yeah, the measure of a man. I don't get that at all. I think it's a great song. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this again on record. Rocky Five has the best opening credits and the best end credits with that with the pictures in the background with that song playing. I, I, I dare anybody to name me a movie with better opening credits and end credits than that. It's fantastic. I'll fight everybody every day on that. <laughs> and get the measure of a man on Spotify, you cowards or Apple Music. Whoever has it first, I'll jump ship. I promise you, I will jump ship. If it's on, I'm, I have Spotify right now, but if you tell me it's on Apple Music, I'm, I'll switch today. See what comments are saying. People are commenting. They like it. <laughs> It's a great song. Or would that song have worked better in Rocky Balboa? 
comments on YouTube here. This is a beautiful song, so underrated, most underrated Rocky song. Some people think Rocky Five wasn't a good movie. These people are wrong. <laughs> I think it's one of those. That, I think it's one of those that's picture. gained traction over the years. Like little, very little, but it's yeah. People are catching on finally. It wasn't appreciated in this time, and I'm not saying this is a perfect movie by any means, but. It's not the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. There's, I can name you plenty of shit that's way worse than Rocky Five. Also, the uh, the um, um, end credits of Rocky Five reminds me of uh, the "There's No Easy Way Out" series montage recap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of the same still it maybe it's stills from that montage, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> sure there's some of them in there. But I enjoyed them yeah. that much. Um what's another thing you like about this movie? Or don't like? You can yeah. you can put some that negativity here if you want. Uh I actually like like the transition of Tommy, but I also don't know if they're supposed to root for him or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I you don't know, know when, supposed to feel like not that character. He just changes for where the plot needs to go. Right, like you think about where he invites him to dinner for the first time, and he tells that story about yeah. his dad, and it's like, oh shit! Like, yeah, the movie like gets goofy at times, but then there's moments where like it reminds you, like, oh shit! Like, it's really dark. Yeah, some dark moments in this story. Like, <laughs> and there you sympathize with Tommy, but then it gets it just goes by the numbers and the whole Duke stuff and the cartoon villain and. We need a villain to to end this movie, and yeah, they they turn Tommy evil like real quickly, and there's like no redemption for the character either. Um, the bully thing is so drawn out that I don't give a shit. Yeah, to be honest, but I do um, like the idea. I think there's a version of the script, and I saw this on IMDb where I think Rocky ends up shaking Tommy's hand at the end of that street fight that they have. Yeah, they like he some... offers him a hand or something. Yeah. I would have enjoyed to see that because there's really other than Apollo one Draco because it got it got put into the Creed storyline, but you know there was no redemption for like Clubber Lang, you know, just something like just to make him human and not just like a villain of the week. Uh, so that's what Tommy Gunn actually ends up becoming. I do like that fight in the street at the end. Oh, for sure. I I. I learned the choreography for that just as I did the boxing matches. Like, you know, it may have not been the best, but hey, it's a Rocky movie. Of course, I'm going to learn all the moves. Even yeah. if it's a street fight. Like, it's it's ridiculous, and there's kicking and tripping, and <laughs> it's fucking great. The fucking nude drawing of his teacher, though, is, is a lot. But... <laughs> Wait, have we I mentioned that it. yet? This movie's like Rocky Five is super horny in like the first 10 minutes of this movie. We talked about it off here, but okay. Let's, no, we're going to talk about it on here. I wanted to make it a point of this. This is a part where we we may go off the rails and it may get silly. It so opens I, with him posing in the shower and that's goes what I'm saying. there. It took us five movies to get to this point. Like, where was this in Rocky three and four, where he was like out of his fucking mind, like you know, in shape to the point where he was like, at, I forgot how many, how much percent body fat. It's like, let's get a wide shot of him and let's uh, yeah. let's see all of Stallone. But again, those movies were PG, so. <laughs> Which is what this movie opens on, is that shot of him in the shower that's lit to accentuate every muscle. It's hilarious. 
so there's that right so so there's that yeah. moment it's like oh hell yeah Stallone all naked yeah I'm comfortable with my sexuality and I don't mind talking about this um oh yeah I <laughs> so then we cut to um Rocky coming back home and he starts talking dirty with Adrian in front of his kid I'm like oh, okay shit like like this movie's is this got supposed to be a hit for brain damage or supposed to be funny that's the thing. Like I, I took it as comedy, but I think the kid's the only one that realizes, like, hey, something's fucking off with this guy. Like, yeah. And then, and then he gets to bed and finds this new drawing of his teacher, and he goes, <laughs> of, his, of his French teacher, and he's like, hey, yo, what's this? And he's like, uh, you know, I wouldn't show this to your mother. She's, you know, she's she doesn't like French. <laughs> and you're like, I want to die. And then he goes, maybe next time you can show me your English teacher. And I'm like, no, this isn't what I want my Rocky to do. I was like, what's going on in this scene? Hey, can we talk about real quickly there in that bedroom of his? There's this awesome poster of him and Apollo that I've always wanted to look for. I wonder if they, if I can find that on eBay or something like that. I wonder if they actually sold the poster like that. Like that, that is so sick. The other thing is there's this strange obsession with Apollo's shorts in this series. The red, white, and blue? Shorts. Yeah, shorts that were worn by Apollo or by Rocky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Because he gives Tommy his shorts that he wore. Yes. His red, red red, and blue shorts. All stained in blood. (laughs) God, man. Um, I want to go back real quickly to that uh, bedroom scene with... uh, with his son and the, the teacher and all that stuff. Just just because this is where, where I mentioned to you where, like, he kind of overdoes the Rocky performance a little bit in this one out of yeah. all of them. Yeah. They had just finished talking about uh, the French teacher, and Rocky's son asked him, like, what did you mean about being born again? And Rocky does, like, this weird accent where it's a mix of him talking, like, him, himself, but also kind of mixing in French. And it just sounds yeah. super weird. <laughs> I know what's super, super weird is that uh, his Santa scene, if we haven't talked about that yet, he like jumbles all the words together. He was, he was drunk. Not good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this guy in the room is incredible. He's real antlers. <laughs> <laughs> and well, also, one of my favorite lines is uh, Adrian in that scene, a little just comes a little bit later where Tommy's coming over and. Uh, <laughs> Rocky's like, oh, you know, Adrian will cook something, but you know, it's probably all cold now. She can make some sandwiches. And Rocky, I don't want to make sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but also just like, I don't know. Talia Shire, her delivery of that line just floored me. <laughs> yeah, it also like ties it back to the first movie where like she's making the turkey. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, like, these are tiny, tiny things, man. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll make a little nitpick here. Um, I don't think the Duke character works. He's the most cartoonish, I think, of everybody oh, yeah. in this That's entire part franchise. Of the, part of the 90s thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a direct takeoff of uh, what's Don King. Yeah. We'll write that in saying only in America, like, word right. for word. Did I hear this yeah. wrong or at the beginning at that press conference? Is he talking about uh, having Rocky fight Union Kane in uh, Tokyo or somewhere international? 
Yeah, and then it goes nowhere. I was like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Like, I, just, I just dropped that thread. <laughs> <laughs> Would Union Kane have worked better uh, if they had gotten like a bigger star in that role? Like, a, I don't know, a Wesley Snipes or... You know, just someone more threatening, like Union Kane. There's nothing threatening about that guy. No. So I don't know but why they... they... <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, just some of the things I was thinking about when I was rewatching it. Um, but yeah, the the Duke character, I, I want to get into his whole thing at the end where, where Rocky super punches him. Oh, and... yeah, he flies up. I'm like, that's the punch. <laughs> Oh, man. The other thing, too, is he, uh, oh, what was I going to say? The other thing I was going to say was that he spent so much time with the kid at the school, and it's the only movie that decides to follow a character that isn't Rocky. Oh, that's true. And that's probably why it feels like it drags on so long. The movie's, what, an hour, 45 minutes tops? It hmm. feels long, though. Yeah, it does feel long. Because some things are dragged out. Um, yeah. What else? What else about this movie? What do you got? Me. Um. Let's see. So I covered the Duke stuff. I covered the soundtrack. I covered the Polly and Rocky friendship relationship. Um. I guess another nitpick, the whole thing, like they really could have dived into the brain damage stuff a little bit more. Um, yeah. It's covered at the beginning. That's why he retires. Uh, and then it isn't until the one hour and 13 minute mark where something happens where he's chasing off Tommy and like he's yelling at him and he has like this like weird uh, head vision. Lights or something. Yeah. I thought that would have been great throughout the whole movie, but I don't know if it would have become redundant, but that's the whole point is so like there's consequences. Stallone does this thing where he throws his jacket into the street in that scene. Yeah. I've always loved that. <laughs> oh, that whole scene is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is great. But yeah, like, I wish there would have been more of that stuff, like, layered throughout that movie, and it would have made it more emotional, more like, oh shit, like, is this character, like, on the verge of, like, I don't know, meeting his end at some point just because of how yeah, beat up he was from that fight? again yeah that's kind of hard yeah i just wish they could have they could have dived a little better into that and um and then it's brought in more into the obviously the fight that he has with with tommy and there's visions of mickey and um yeah i don't know i don't like that part of that fight for some reason i don't know because i like the whole flow of it it's hip-hop and like they're street fighting and then there's a part where it cuts to a flashback where he like his head starts like bleeding out. Yes. And I'm like, oh, this is dark. <laughs> Isn't it him like pushing like uh, the casket into the thing? And... Yeah. yeah so there's, but I mean, he there's brings that basket, he brings that back in Jurassic Balboa. Yes. Um. But yeah, no more on the brain damage stuff. I think would have helped this movie because. I don't know. It kind of gets goofy. Just to play the devil's advocate here, I don't know if more would have been helpful. We might have just been like, well, this is a lot. Well, it's like if you're going to be ambitious and do a whole story of him, like, 
going on the downside of, of his career just because of how everything turned out with that Drago fight and then having to declare bankruptcy. Like, if you're going to go dark, just go all in. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What could have been? Would, would it have been the wrong thing? Like, would we be thinking about this franchise differently if they killed off the character at the end of this movie? I don't know. Would it be like they were those... smart too because they had excuses to bring him back, which I'm happy they they did. Yeah. Because if not, if they had, I think if they had killed him off, it would have been like, oh man, what a like, one of those like rise and fall stories. Like, I don't know. I think it would have been forgotten about through time passing, but the fact that he's still relevant and so iconic that they keep bringing him back, then so obviously a good reason they didn't do it. Oh, for sure. Like, um, yeah. But who knows? What could have been? Yeah. Let's see. What else do I got in this movie? Um, the whole Razzie thing on Talia Shire is, is mind-boggling to me because I think she's really great here. Even though yeah, she's like... Most of, the, most of the Razzies are mind-boggling. Yeah, but like her, like, I, I know it's an annoyance because she's the one that's, you know, obviously, if you're a moviegoer, you want to see Rocky fight in the ring, but she's like the conscience of the whole thing, so it may come off as nagging or annoying, but she really is the like the whole heart of the of just the whole universe. Yes. Yeah. So. She's the heart. Yeah. And also that seemed weird when they're they're for when he sees that she's back at the turtle shop. And he's like, Yo, Adrian, do we ever leave this place? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the the way she says I don't know is yeah. so direct opposite of how he's saying it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's like, hey, you could go into early labor here again. <laughs> oh, man. Gotta love it, though. Gotta love it. What else happened in this movie? Uh, do you want to talk about Tommy Gunn a little bit? I think we covered it with, like, not knowing how to feel about it. How do you feel about his performance, though? Like, I think he. The performance is good. The character is there. It's just again, he just is a pawn for the story sometimes. Yeah. And like you said, it it doesn't feel right to leave him there in the street at the end. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love the kid, but I just do hate his whole involvement in the fight at the end where it's like the guerrilla style filmmaking and the camera's like shaking when it's on him when they're doing that street oh, fight. Oh, <laughs> hey, hey, they're not got this fuck out. I crack up every time though when it cuts to what's his face? The uh the 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 promoter. <laughs> it cuts from <laughs> the kid to the promoter. I die. It's so fucking funny. That's one thing I do like about the Duke character, that little yell that he gives. I want to learn that. There. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun character, even though it's probably slightly problematic. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, I don't get why in that scene, every time they cut to the kid, the camera's, like, shaking, like, ridiculously. And then the others are, like, this Dutch angle that's super tilted. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. 
And also, yeah. I love how they're just broadcasting a fight on the air, like a street fight in the, on the on the news station. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right, so I think we talked a good amount on our points on this movie. Um, yeah, we won't do a, rough. we can't do a recasting because they're still doing these. Stallone's still doing these movies. <laughs> uh, it would be, I would hope that maybe twenty, thirty years from now, like they don't even think about trying to redo this this thing again, or try I don't to. Think you can. Yeah. yeah, they seem to be going in the, the direction of Creed, so we'll see what happens there. Right. Right. But like I could totally see them doing this. I don't know how would a female version of this story work. Like I mean, I I, I know there's a version of it that you could probably do. Um, just million dollar baby. And call it Roxy or something <laughs> stupid. Roxy. Um, Roxy Balboa. Roxy Balboa. He should have had a girl. Good point. I think he should have had a girl. Who, I guess who would you cast as Stallone's daughter? That'd be a good casting uh, what if. The girl from Borat 2 comes to mind. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> no, I saw, I, saw, I saw the new Borat. I can see it. Maria Bakalova. I don't know how old she is. Though. I don't know if she would have been I don't know how old she would have been for Rocky Balboa. Rocky's 30 in the first in the first Rocky. Hmm. Oh, you're talking about her. Are you talking about her in the female version of the story, or or as uh, just Rocky's kid? Her in the female version of the story. Oh, okay. I'm down for that. Um, yeah. I just meant in terms of like instead of if we going made, with, if we made Rocky Five, I don't know what actors or kids that I'd cast. I, well, I, I, I meant more probably as the the adult that they end up getting Milo from freaking This Is Us. Like, who would you okay. put in that role for? Like an oh, okay daughter I don't know uh, Chloe Grace Moretz interesting you know why not would you have to color her hair black or nah nah <laughs> I could see it she could do it just remake Rocky Balboa with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the Oh Miles. God! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, so no, no recasting this movie. This franchise is still going strong. Um, yeah. Rocky in 2020 is that a theatrical experience or is it a streaming movie? Well, I think I said this last time, but most things in 2020 are streaming movies. That sucks. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, given no pandemic, does this movie have a chance to be backed up by a studio? I think so, yeah. Or is this like one of those movies that's got like 10 production logos at the beginning of it? No, I I think it'd be a big hit. Uh, I'm going to be a little biased here. I'll I'll agree with you on that. Theatrical. in 2020 and then lastly and i know this is probably going to be hard for both of us because we're i think it's safe to say we're homers for this franchise um is this movie does it age 30 years later was it aged has it aged like is it aged fine is it was it a movie that was just of its time 
it's not as as low as in super nineties as some others are. Right. Uh, just my opinion. But there's some definite things that I think it could come out today intact with some few musical changes and costume changes. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um. Yeah, I think if uh, I would probably eliminate some of the music in that movie. Um, I don't know if I would. I'd try maybe to go. Probably go the rock version of this. Like I want to see like. I mean, I, I I enjoy the hip-hop. Don't get me wrong. I love all that. I love what they're doing with Creed and all that stuff. But I would have loved to have seen, like, some rock bands get some love on this on this uh, franchise. You know, like, uh, I don't know, like a Breaking Benjamin or something like that. Like, see what they could come up with, like some Rocky riff or or something like that. I just, I would I would have loved to have seen that uh, yeah. in, in today's... Uh, landscape i think they could do it bands like bring me the horizon like these like not super hardcore rock but like just enough to get you going um and not fully distract i think the hip-hop's a little distracting sometimes but that's just that's just me being nitpicking not that i hate it i just it sticks out but uh yeah no this movie has a I think it's aged fine, and I think if if you really pay attention to what the characters are and the story, like you do, really appreciate this movie more. Like, yeah, it could still be ranked on your bottom list of Rocky movies. Like, I'm sure it is for both of us, but it's not a bad, bad movie. It's it's my least favorite Rocky, but that's still like it's not like it's still a Rocky movie. Yeah, it's not like if it were to come on TV, be like, "Oh, this one." Like, no, like I'll watch it. No, exactly. And that's the whole point of rewatchable. It's a rewatchable movie. It's not the best, but it's rewatchable. It is. I will watch it when it comes on. I will watch a couple scenes, or I don't go. Ugh. And again, I don't understand the whole. Ugh. Yeah, so. I need to dive into that with more people that I've spoken to that have just don't say anything. Other than Rocky Five sucks, or it's the worst one, but I want to dive into that m- more with people and see what it is that they don't like. Because again, like, forgot if I mentioned this, and I think I did off air. Like, do people feel differently about this movie? Of like, let's say somehow the doctors were wrong, and Rocky doesn't really have brain damage, and he's able to fight, and he ends up having a real fight with Tommy Gunn in the ring. Would that have made people yeah. feel differently about it? Is that why people didn't like it? Is that it kind of just ends in a little like scuffle in the street and then that's it. Not an actual boxing match, which is, you know, why we love to see the Rocky movies. Yes, we love the characters, but also we love the spectacle of how Stallone does the boxing choreography, which is, I mean, to this day, I don't think any other boxing movie can capture what he's done with these movies. They're like its own little thing. Even the Creed movies have kind of like adapted. They're not like they they were for the Rocky movies, but you go back and watch (laughs) the way the choreography is in the in the Rocky movies and it's just like there's just nothing like it yeah yeah so I don't know maybe that had something to do with it but I, I think a chunk of it was that I think it just came out at the wrong time because again it went up against Home Alone <laughs> like you said that was a juggernaut yeah. of its own had this movie yeah. come out maybe in October September maybe it would have had a life but I don't know 
have to do more research on what other people were thinking about it at the time. For sure. Yeah. All right. I would like to hear. If you're if you're listening to this, tell us why you don't like five. Yes, I would love to hear <laughs> answers. Not and not just oh it sucks. Like give us reasons. I love reasons. I'm okay if you dislike a movie, but just tell me why. Like that's, I'm more interested yeah. in that than saying like oh I hated it. I want context. I want just reasoning. But no, I I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, especially I rewatched it a couple of times before preparing for this pod and. I don't know. It's just one of those movies. Like it's, I don't know. I like it. I'm yeah, unapolog- unapologetic about that. But yeah, okay. awesome the movie. Yes, well, for sure. All right, buddy. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me on this one. Um, Thanks, man. Always happy to be here. We have uh, one more to do. And that's coming in December, The Godfather Part 3, yeah. which uh, I have told you the the new cut is coming out on the 7th, I believe, on Blu-ray, which I'm looking to buy. And uh, I'll, I'll either give you the digital co- code or let you borrow the disc or whatever. So that way we can works, works talk great. about this one and the original cut, see what's different. Yeah. And we're still waiting on Rocky Four. That was supposed to be promised to us this month. <laughs> Well, I don't, think, that, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> He's got stuff going on in COVID, so maybe. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I would hope it would. I mean, I'm hoping. I'm still hoping for the box set. Like, I'm hoping for a 4K transfer soon. I know you can buy Rocky the original on 4K already, but kind of want to wait to. I know they're going to do a box set for it. There just has to be one. Um, but maybe they'll they'll wait to release that cut on there, or it'll be its own separate thing. I don't know. Yeah, man. But hopefully, I'll, I'll we'll do a special episode on that cut for Rocky Four whenever that happens. I'm sure we can yes. dive into a whole lot of stuff there. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, buddy. Thank you for your time. I uh, appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Sounds good. See ya. Right. Once again, much thanks to Daniel Tucker for joining me on Reliving Rocky Five. It's good, folks. Please give it a shot if you haven't. It's been 30 years. If you haven't, if you only marathon like one through four and then skip to six, I urge you to go back. Just go back to part five. Take another gander. I promise you, if this pod doesn't convince you, maybe you're just, your brains will, all right? Knock some sense into you. Part five is good. Um, that's just all there is to say to it. But thank you guys so much for tuning in on this double feature of Home Alone and Rocky Five as we reflect back 30 years. Um, can't believe these movies are that old already like just makes me think of how old i am and uh it's exciting because we get to relive these and talk about it but it's also sad because it's like gosh we're old um coming up on this spinoff series on november 30th is the movie misery which is going to be a first time watch for me so i'm super excited about checking this one out uh i've heard about it referenced so much in different uh, elements of pop culture. So now I'm finally going to dive into it. The The most I've seen of it is a trailer. So uh, we'll see if I actually end up enjoying this. But I'll still uh, be able to give you a sense of whether or not this movie has aged uh, in the 30 years since it's been out. Or if it was just a movie of its time. But that will be coming November 30th on Palace Off the Top Row Presents 90s Films Turning 30. So 
Thank you, guys. That's going to do it. You can find this podcast on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen in on your phone, on your PC. Uh, if you're an Apple person, subscribe. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave me that five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. Again, I'm trying to grow this show in season two, or in year two, I should say, and tr- just try to get more traction for the show. And who knows, you know, all it takes is the right person to listen to this show, think I have somewhat of talent, maybe, or maybe I don't. Maybe I still need to do a lot of work. Uh, I, I still think I do personally, but that's because I'm always just hard on myself. But it, w- it would be nice to maybe... Who knows? Maybe make a career out of this. You never know in this world. But I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for it, as they say a lot in Rocky Five. So, yep, that's gonna do it. We'll see you on the next one. Misery, November thirtieth. Stay tuned for that. You can catch all past episodes, all available in canon now. And this one will be up for you all as soon as possible. So, thank you guys. God bless you. Have a good week. Put on your coat. Just put on your coat. Come on. It's not worth it. Adrian is worse than he's just confused. You don't see what's happening in Yeah, I do see. What do you mean? Yeah, he's, he's twisted around my duke. No, I see what's happening. Come on, it's you. It's you. It's not him. You can't live backwards. Come on, you can't turn back the clocks. We live now. We live here. Hey, Adrian, I know where we live. What do you think? I'm stupid? I'm not as dumb as you think I am. You're like, hey, look, you don't think I can smell it? I see where we are. Adrian, I don't want this no more. I want something good for the family. I don't want this. I don't want this. I mean, did I come back here and get my brains beat out for, for these guys to say, hey, there goes Balboa. They're just another puppet in the neighborhood. I didn't want this. No, come on. Nobody says that. I'm saying it, Adrian. I'm saying this. I'm saying this. When that kid was in the ring, you know what I was doing? I was winning. When he was winning, I was winning. You were winning? Yeah, it was. It was like, it was my last chance at getting some respect for us. Do you know that? Come on, I respect you. I respect you. You can't respect me. I respect you. No, you can't do it. I'm telling you. All those beatings you took in the ring, I took them with you. I know how you feel. I know when somebody like Tommy comes along, you feel alive. But he's not you. He doesn't have your heart. All those fighters you beat, you beat him with heart, not muscle. That's what Mickey knew. That's why you and Mickey were special. But Mickey's dead. If there's something you want to pass on, pass it on to your son. For God's sakes, your son is lost. He needs you. I know Tommy makes you feel great. He makes you feel like you're winning again. But you're losing us. Rocky, you're losing your family! I'm sorry. You know, it was always you and me. It was always you and me. I'm sorry, This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. You lost millions. This is a tremendous opportunity. For him to be disabled? You got insulted. You got a humiliated. They tell me you're a piece of garbage. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Why don't you try knocking me down? Let's do it. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Five, rated PG 13. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere.